Bible's very clear. It says Jesus made a way. So he smashed every wall that needed to be broken down. Which means the only wall that needs to come down is the walls that we put up. And we put them up to defend, to, to protect ourselves because we are afraid. And the Holy Spirit has to come and smash brick by brick, mortar by mortar, through power. You and I cannot bring our wall down because we put it up. And we put walls up really well. And we put them up really high to protect us. So we need someone else to come along who's greater than us to smash the wall that we have erected to protect ourselves from him. And we don't even know we do it half the time. We actually think we're protecting ourselves from someone else, but it's actually him. And so he knocks on the door of your wall and then invites you in to dine with him. But see, you have to actually get past your wall. So you have to repent of the wall that you've erected. Jesus gave me these three words about three months ago when I was with Johnny. He said, Greg, I can't bless what I haven't built. I can't bless man's works because that's anti-me. And so I can only bless what I build. And so I've got to break the foundations that man builds in order to build man to bless man. You see, but man erects these walls and he builds stuff in God's image, but it's not actually God. It's in his image. It's in a fallen state. You see, we're all of the kind of Adam until we get born again. Then we come into the kind of Christ. But the Adam can still live because he hasn't been fully put to death through the word of God, which is the sword, which cuts him into pieces so he never builds anything again. Ultimately, to protect himself. Adam was running away from God to protect himself from God because he knew he'd sinned. But God was running after Adam because sin can't get in the way of what God wants to do. But you can get in the way of what God wants to do through rejecting God and putting up walls. So the Holy Spirit, has to come and smash the wall. But you have to let him. He has to smash every false foundation that we build thinking it's of Christ, but it's not because when we build on the Christ, we have the life of Christ. And so he breaks what we build. But then he says, I don't just leave you in a broken state. There's a purpose behind why I would break you of the hurt. There's a purpose why I would break you of unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and the stuff that's happened. There's a reason why I do everything. There's a why behind it all. And that is ultimately to build you. As what? As myself. I want to build a people that sound like me, look like me, act like me, speak like me, love like me. I'm looking for my equal who will be a co-heir with me, who will love the Father's children as I do. I'm looking for her. 
This is the reason why love is the greatest because he's looking for her. He's looking for her, a people who can love like the groom to raise up the family, the children of God, which we all have an opportunity for. But before that, he has to break some things. He has to break mindsets off us. He has to break unbelief in our heart. Do you know your mind can never get renewed if you have unbelief in your heart? Because it's the heart where understanding starts and it's the heart that feeds the mind. So if you have unbelief in your heart, you can never have your mind renewed. So he's got to come and he's got to break from love. So he breaks to build, to bless. He wants to bless you with an all-encompassing life that is eternal within you so you can demonstrate Christ on the earth as an individual and as a body. She's called the bride. It's the most intimate relationship known to mankind, greater than a nation, greater than a priest, greater than a son. And it's got nothing to do with whether you are married or not, single or not, divorced or not, grandparent or not, not even born yet. It's zero to do with the physical and everything to do with what has been written before the foundation of the world ever began. It was written in blood before you and I even were thought of. Before creation was even birthed, it was foretold and written. It is the greatest news the church can hear, and yet we believe lies, we believe schemes, we believe, and we've convinced ourselves of a reality to keep ourselves in our own comfort because we are scared of what it looks like to get out of humanity and into Christ-likeness. So we sit in the boat where it's comfortable, but Jesus never came to make your life comfortable. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit, who is your comforter, because he's gonna mess you up. And so he, Holy Spirit comes to comfort you while he completely turns you upside down to build you into the image of his son, which is called a bride, because his son is looking for his equal that they would reign together now and in the future. That's why love is love. That's why love is the greatest, not just because God is love. It's bigger than that. God is love, yes, but then why would he give us the commandment to love him if it was just about God is love? You see, it's bigger than that. Why would God say, grace be to all those who love him with an incorruptible love? It's because of what God is looking for. But God has to break man and the schemes of man and the mindsets of man and all the attitudes that man establishes as a Christian before he can build you to bless you, to present you as a spotless, blameless, wise bride. What an invitation that we all got the day we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior was the day you received your invitation to a wedding in the future that's now. And I'm gonna scream this till the day I die because we are deaf as a whole 
as the body of Christ to the revelation of what God has written in the heavens and in the stars and in this book we call the Bible, which is more than just a book. It is a declaration of the prophecy of God's heart called the will of God for us, which is already foretold. So let them break you. Don't be afraid of the breaking when it's God because it's good for you. It's Him. Because He can't build and bless you until you let Him break you. If you need breaking, if you have been broken, and I don't mean just physically, I mean in your innermost being, you can be physically a wreck and still be the most prideful person on the planet trying to keep yourself alive. This is not a natural breaking. This is an inner, hidden, most place breaking of the spirit where the fallen nature gets smashed because from a great height, it falls and lands on this thing called rock and gets demolished into pieces. And you don't put back a vase that's fallen from a great height and smashes into pieces, do you, with all the splinters going everywhere. You don't run around trying to find all the bits and get your super glue out and try and put it back together. You go get to buy a brand new vase. In Jesus' life, he paid the price for you to have a brand new vase. A brand new nature called a divine nature so you would know the purpose of love and why love is the greatest of everything. But see, the thing is, it's concealed in Christ, which means you have to go looking, which means you've got to let go of you. And everything that you might be looking for and living for and thinking your life is about, you've got to lose your soul if you really want to know the full purpose of God for you and the church. It's not found in you. It's not even found in being married, having babies, having a job, going on holiday. There's all the deception for what it's truly found in. There is nothing wrong with those things but they will hoodwink you if that's all you have. If you think your purpose is in getting married physically, you are deceived. If you think it's in having a child, you're deceived. If you think it's in sport, career, entertainment, technology, you are deceived from what your life was given you for. You have to lose your soul. You have to lose your mind, your will, and your emotions And they have to be let go of through hearing a word of God or getting crushed because they're trying to find life and stuff that's lifeless and then get born into the reality of him giving you his mind, his will, his truth, which defines your emotions. Only then will you know the purpose for why you were given this life. And I'm gonna scream this at you today, not in volume, but in power, why love is the greatest. God has been turning this people upside down for a while now to put us his way up. The Bible says in John that people from the earth only hear from the earth. 
But Jesus was a man from heaven who came to earth and spoke heavenly things, but earthlings don't hear heavenly things. It's a whole different language. It's like if I started speaking to you in Russian and none of us knew Russian right now, and I spoke to you for 40 minutes in Russian, you'd go, what was that all about? And you'd have no understanding of what I said. That's what it's like when heavenly people speak heavenly words and earthly people try to understand heavenly words. It's boring. There's no reference for it. And so it's a waste of time in your head, but it's not in his. And so what I'm gonna share to you and what I've been sharing forever is his version of himself. And I know that because the Father has brought me into that realm and the Father has shown me. I have not learnt this through the agency of man. I have not learnt this through going to Bible college. I have not learnt this through man teaching me. Just like Paul said, I did not receive the gospel from man, nor was I taught it from man, but I received the gospel through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is how I have got what you're about to hear today, through pure revelation of heaven speaking to earth. And I pray you can capture, and I pray you'll go away and listen to this 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 times until the revelation of what you hear hits your heart and you feel a substance of heaven that created earth rock your world and you're like, what was that? That's called the Word of God. Christianity is not just turning up to buildings, singing songs and hearing messages. It's not turning up to prayer meetings and praying prayers. It's not any of the things primarily. It is about knowing love. Knowing a person who is love and understanding why you were born and the context around that that you can give your life for that. To find the real reason, that's Christianity. And the problem is we've hoodwinked it with works. Because we're in John 7, which is an amazing passage, and it is true. You'll do greater things than these. And we hear that, and we go, yeah, it's works-based. And we miss the bit before it where it says, if you believe me. But if you can't believe me, then otherwise believe the works. You see, you can't hear me when I speak to you. So if you can't hear me and believe me when I speak to you, then look at the works. And what happens is we might fail to hear what he says, but we can see works. So we run after works, but we've missed what he said. So we get entangled in works and we run around trying to do all the works which are greater than Jesus did, which are right in Christ. But they get entangled, so we fall in love with the gifts, and we fall in love with the works, and we fall in love with the miracles, and we fall in love with the signs and wonders, and we fall in love with ministry, and we fall in love with evangelism, and we leave our first love. The Bible says they never lost their first love. The Bible says they left it. What for? Works. Who for? Him. Jesus said the first work is to believe. Believe what? That this is a relational gospel, not a works-based gospel first. God's gonna mess us up. 
to put us back together, to bring us into life. See, the problem is the church has believed this is a works-based gospel as God's primary position. It's works-based. It's not. Do you believe what I just said? Until you believe it, you'll never have the life of a relational-based gospel because your focus is a works-based gospel. And with a works-based gospel comes trying to do the works, of trying to change yourself and not entering into rest, which is a relational-based gospel. And then works are done in you because you believe. And then every work you do comes from rest, Jesus Christ. Not this abstract thing, peace that we think is rest. Rest is active, Jesus' rest. It's Sabbath rest in you, which releases you from works. So all the works you now do are done from Christ. The morning star has risen in your heart. There's no stress in that. There's no burnout in that. You don't even know to go on a sabbatical. Holidays are one thing. Sabbaticals, we don't need. Come here to 2 Peter. I'm going to show you something real powerful. 2 Peter 1. 16. We're going to have communion today. You're going to have it right now as I preach. Um, And I'm not sure whether we're going to get to physically taking bread and juice, but if we don't, feel free at the end of this. And Jay, I want you to come back and play that song when I finish. I'm jealous for my heart. Um, Feel free afterwards to go and take communion physically, but you're about to get communion. Communion is partaking of Christ which is every day, every second of our lives. So that's what communion is, common union with God. That's awesome, and we remember what he did, but really, communion is the partaking of what? Him. And that is available to you every second you breathe. And this is incredible, this passage in 2 Peter 1, verse 16 to 20. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales. You like those words? This is the Peter that has been broken and put back together and blessed. So pre-Acts, Peter was not a broken man. He was very much living. His soul was very much in control of his life, even though he'd left his work and his family. He was firmly in the control of his own life, doing stuff with and for Jesus but could not deny Jesus and could not lose his life until he transitioned through his own breaking. So then God could build him and turn him into the man that God had always intended him to be. And here he is now writing about an eyewitness account, saying, we do not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we're not part of institution now. We're not part of man. We're not part of preaching man stuff. We're not part of man ideas. We're not preaching what our version is. We're preaching the real thing and we're writing it down because I've been brought into the real thing through revelation. I've been known the power and I'm making known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For when he received honor and glory from the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. He's about to say they heard a rhema word. The Father uttered a rhema word. And they heard it. The rhema word is, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. But God was referring to Isaiah 42.1, what was written. <laughs> so God is speaking from Isaiah when he speaks a rhema word. Well, you wait to what's coming. This is going to rock us. God is redefining everything here. You see, what we've done is we've taken this incredible substance called the Word and tried to understand it in our minds. And we've reduced it down to a crumb. We're like the woman at the table going, but even the crumbs eat from the master's table. And Jesus is saying, why don't you eat me? No, the crumb's enough. We've taken it because we've tried to understand this incredible thing called the Word of God in our minds and reduced it to nothing. And so God needs to smash and break mindsets and what we've done to release us from that, to bless us and that we would be overcomers and flowing and more than conquerors on the inside. And this is one of the things that God is redefining in prophecy. They hear this voice saying, this is my beloved son. And in that particular scripture, God says, listen to him. Why? Because he has the words that are spirit and life. So can you hear in the spirit what is being uttered? The utterances of heaven from spirit to spirit. Are you hearing a word that has power, that has the potential, the seed to change you. We must if we want to be the people God has called us to be. Verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. They'd received this prophetic word, this rhema word that had been written on Isaiah. They'd received this living word about the son, that he was the beloved one. He was the one that they needed to listen to. He was the one that they needed to hear. He was the one that they needed to obey. Why? Because he was the source of life. Not in miracles, signs and wonders, works, but in the Christ, the Messiah. That's why he asked everybody, who do you say I am? I don't want to know what you think I am. I want to know who I am to you. Do you know I am the Messiah? Because until you know I am the Messiah, you won't treat me like the Messiah. Which means you won't come under me like you're supposed to as the Messiah. You will stay out of me trying to figure this out. And give me lip service by saying in my name, but you're not really in my name but you will use my name to build your thing. And that is fully possible. And we've looked at it over the last few weeks. So we have had this prophetic word made more sure to which you do well. 
who he's speaking to, to pay attention. Have you been grabbed by what is going out here? Has the Word of God apprehended you and arrested you? Have we been paying attention? Or is this just all a casual thing? Christianity is what I do week in, week out. Life really doesn't alter and life is all-consuming because I'm focused completely in the wrong place. And my eyes are on me because I haven't let go of my soul. That is not the life you were called for. That is not the life that he predestined you for. That is a substandard life of the life that Jesus Christ has given you life for. And Peter is declaring something that he never once knew. This man is excited like me. As a lamp shining in a dark place. You walk into a dark place and there's a light on, it lights up a room. Jesus came and his own people didn't recognize him. He was the light of the world. He was in the world. The world came through him, but the world did not what? Recognize who he was. His own people who had the scriptures didn't even know who he was when he turned up. I pray this is not us. I pray that you don't come here week in, week out and listen on podcasts and nothing's happening. Man, I pray your eyes would be opened, that you would have the knowledge and that just like Jesus, the light of the world would enlighten every man and John, you would be enlightened to the reality of what you are hearing. To not, we, to not be would be so incredibly sad. To live life outside of your identity is incredibly sad. He says, a, play, a lamp shining like my shirt today. That's why I wore it. It's bright, isn't it? Put your sunglasses on, man. Who's this guy? I saw bright and light and got confused. <laughs> but I want this on the inside of me. I want this brightness inside of me. I'm called to be the light of the world. And if Christ is in me, then his life is light, which means that life is in me, which means I am the light of the world. And I don't want to walk in darkness. And I don't want to, how great is the darkness in you when your eye is not singular? But when your eye is pural, how great is the darkness because you have double vision, because you're a doubting man or woman. But only those who are singular have light in them. So we all have this light, but is it in the seed or has it become a tree? Do people look at you and see another source of life in you through your eyes, which are the window of your soul called Jesus Christ? And this is what Peter is trying to awaken in the earth. And it's what I'm also trying in his power to awaken here. Not just here, everywhere I go. He says, a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your. Ooh. Are you ready for this? Verse 20. But know this. I'm going to stop there. But know this. Not know about it, 
know this. First of all, that no prophecy of Scripture. I thought prophecy was something that was outside of Scripture. I thought it was all to do with like, you know, going over to other nations or setting up ministries in this nation. I thought you couldn't find that. That's like me and Danny are going to go live in England and and plant a church in England for three years. Where's that in here? Where's that in the Scripture? I can't find that. Where's that? Anyone know where that is? Is that the book that never got written? No, it says here that no prophecy of Scripture, which means this entire book is prophecy. Now, this is the Bible. This is just a word I read and try and understand. No, this is God's dream. This is God's plan. Contained and concealed in this is everything you and I need to know about God, His purpose, His will, His plan, who we are, and how it all works. It is prophetic. Prophecy in Scripture. If you want to know why love is the greatest, it's in here. If you want to know what God's first place priority is, it's in here. It's already written which means the church doesn't have to make anything up. We don't have to come up with our own visions. All we have to be able to do is see and hear every prophetic word that's in here and we'll have all the answers we've ever asked. How many of you own one of these? How many of you spend more than five minutes with it? You'll never know what your purpose and his purpose is for you if you are not spending time here with him, not without him. Don't take this and you and then just leave it at you and him. You need to go ask him to come, but he's already in you ready to teach you. And he longs to teach you everything that's in here, but he must reveal what's in here. But know this first, okay? Know it first of all. Before you race off and try and figure anything out, know this first of all things, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, which means man can't teach man unless man has been taught by the Holy Spirit. You can't just grab this book, intellectualize it in your head through studying Greek and Hebrew and tell everybody about the culture, the this, the that, and this and that, and go, that's the Word of God, wrong. That might be technically all correct, but no one can interpret this outside of the Spirit of God. Why, Greg? Because man didn't write it. He goes on, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So God wrote his own story. Correct. And he wrote the story before the foundations of the world, which means before sin had an opportunity to enter into the earth, the story was completely written and finished, which means we're on catch-up mode. And you can figure it all out with the Holy Spirit and one another. Hence, I've given you gifts to figure this all out. Only if they work in accordance to my pattern. As soon as they get outside of my pattern, look out, you're going to have division. As soon as 
everyone comes to it or half come and half don't fully surrendered haven't lost their soul you're going to have a mess man and you're going to have hurt you're going to have ego you're going to have pride you're going to have selfish ambition you're going to have people fighting over things it's going to be like kindergarten where kids will whack kids with trucks I want that position I want that position well I'm going to fight and I'll manipulate my way over that person treat all those people like rubbish and get my position of senior leader which I got told a while ago I bought the rock for $4 million. <laughs> Wasn't a great investment. <laughs> it was a pain, this building. Some of the stuff we've got to do on it. I not say the people. <laughs> but what do you relate to? I see, are you the rock or is the rock a building? Is this family or is this a place you just come to get a fix? You see, they live very differently. One owns, one doesn't. God said to me years ago, well, three years ago, he said, son, there are sons, friends, and guests in that building. And that's okay. He said, but I want it all to be family. And I want people that are friends to become sons. And I want people who are guests to maybe go from friends to sons. And I want sons to grow and mature to be a light that shines so the friends and the guests can see something different and then let go and actually come in. So where do you fit in that? This is something we know in the natural, don't we? Mate, we take ownership in the natural, but when it comes to God's house, meaning not this, Jesus had zeal for the house. So yes, he had zeal for his father's temple, but the house now is the church. Do you have a zeal for the house? Do you have a zeal for the person beside you? Do you have a zeal to see them become all they become in Christ? Are you praying for them consistently? Do you even know them? Or is this just a place where you turn up every week like a club, Pay your tithes if you do that. Enjoy the environment and the coffee and then go again. That's not the church. That's the institution that God is smashing here. He's building a people who are prophetic, who know him, know who they are, know how he does everything, and then they surrender and submit their lives to that. And then they get the fruit of that. That's why this message is so offensive to the flesh but it's light to the Spirit. So, what's in here? The works are finished. What was the number one thing in his heart when he wrote this? Last week I asked us a series of questions and I'm gonna put those up for us now. I wonder whether we went away and did anything about the questions I asked. Why is love the greatest in God's kingdom? Why is the great commandment to love God and love all people as Jesus did? Why is love greater than prophecy, miracles, the gifts, reaching the loss, giving, miracles, marriage, kids? 
Why is love greater than works that Jesus inspires and leads? Why is it essential we have been set free from self and do not love self? Why does Ephesians 6.24 says, Grace be with all those who love God with incorruptible love. What is the context to which the Scriptures are written, the prophetic Scriptures that are telling of a future story? Do you know every single prophet was telling of a future story? I just said one. Isaiah wrote what Jesus spoke. Before Jesus turned up, it was written. So there's Isaiah prophesying in the Scriptures the future. And then the future happened, didn't it? And this is the journey of the entire scriptures. You see, we look outside of this when we should be looking in this because we don't value, because we lack understanding of what's actually here because we lack revelation. So what is the context to which the scriptures are written in? Everything God does, he does for a purpose because remember the works are finished. So he has a picture of a finished work. So this is written in alignment to a finished work. If you don't know what this is, you recreate this to fit your picture. So you'll make it about reaching lost people if that's your picture, if that's your context, you will make this about reaching lost people, but this is not what it says. Why? Because you haven't been apprehended and arrested from the functioning flesh nature that's in you that finds its purpose and identity and self sense of accomplishment in doing. Which means you can never be still because you only get your stillness from doing. What would happen if you had an accident and you could never work again? Mate, you'd be a basket case. The enemy would play havoc on your mind, your own mind would play havoc on you because your thoughts would run ragged and you would have zero be still. You see, only God can create peace. He is peace. Only God can make you be still. You can't make yourself be still, but we do. It's called a counterfeit version of still through works. Mate, don't go on holiday if that's you. You'll have more time about thinking what you're not doing. (laughs) Keep busy. No, come to the end of yourself and break because he's waiting to catch you. What do the prophetic scriptures point to? Have you received a relational-based gospel or a functional works-based gospel? Which one? Number one, what number two? There is a ranking to them. They are both in there. Will you preach works? As soon as you got saved, we've got to go reach lost people. As soon as you got saved, you've got to figure out your gift. As soon as you got saved, you've got to start shambarabara, kambarabara, all that stuff. Was that it or was it, hey, now that the problem has been sorted out. Were you aware there was a promise? A very rich promise. Before the foundations of the earth, it was written. And my son had to come and fulfill it because my people had moved away from me. But it was written before the foundations of the earth. So he first comes looking for a lost tribe of Israel because they'd walked away from the covenant that was established called a marriage covenant which we need revelation of, not head knowledge of. If it's going to move us and have us letting go of us, only revelation will change you. Head knowledge can actually be dangerous because it puffs you up thinking you have something when you have nothing. 
That's why only Jesus teaches. Everything he taught was from the Father. He did not teach his own stuff and the Holy Spirit as well. So what gospel is it, guys? Relational first or function? Being or doing? They are both in there. I've even lost the word doing out of my vocabulary now to try and help people understand that everything that gets accomplished in and through me comes from my being. It's a being reality. It's not even a doing thing anymore. It's just an expression of who I am, which absolutely comes from rest. I've been in rest for 10 years now. Every day waking up in Christ, in rest. I stress about anything. It's amazing, especially not here. Hear what I'm saying. The institution would have me running around like a madman, trying to fix everybody, trying to visit everybody, trying to do this, do this, get everybody all fixed in these. You go to conferences, what are you doing to mobilize? What are you doing to motivate? Nothing. Just preaching Him and letting Him do the motivating. Let Him do the mobilizing because I know that's bought and wrought in nothing. I'm not going there. I live there. I'm not going back there. I got set free of that stuff. And so do many leaders in the body of Christ. There is no, if you're listening, if you're seeing, there is no reason if you're a leader to be stressed and burnt out in the body because Jesus never promised you that. So seek Him. It's the sign that man is trying to build the church, guys. It's the fruit of the flesh. Why did Jesus say in John 13, a new commandment I give you today to love one another as I have loved you? Some of the answers which are not wrong, they are right, because God is love. Yes, why is love the greatest? Because God is love, yes. We are in a relationship with love, yes. Love covers sin, yes. Love is what we need if we are to become all God intends, yes. Without love, we can't know God's nature, and all these answers are true, but is there more? One of the primary reasons why love is the greatest is because of what the Father is looking for. And what he has predestined in his will, in his prophetic, written, spoken scriptures for those who love him, his son, and mankind. If we don't know love within us and are not in love, then how can we love others like Christ? And why is this so important to the Father that we can? If we don't know love within us and are not in love, then how can we love others like Christ? And why is this so important to the Father that we can? Just come with me to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 6. If this is going over your head today, that's okay. Grab the recording and listen. In theory, or one aspect should. It should go over your head to get you to let go of something and go after Him. My primary purpose of preaching is that you would seek God. 
that I would speak of a reality outside of your current reality. I want to be taken outside of my current reality so I can continue to seek God. So that's my hope, is that you would hear something that's like, And then an appetite for what you can't do would come, not for what you can do. You see, man doesn't have an appetite for what he can't do because his identity is attached to what he can do. And God has to set you free from that to what you can't do if you really want to be like him because you can't disown and deny you, can you? Have you tried? Where'd you get with that one? Not very far. And you can't love others like you're commanded to, can you? Do you see why you need to have an appetite for what you can't do? Because unless you start growing an appetite and developing a thirst for that, you'll never chase that, which means you'll never be able to do it. So just like Peter, when he was asked to do it, he couldn't do it. But what could Peter do? Walk on water, preach the gospel, cast out demons. He could do all that, couldn't he? but he couldn't actually do what Jesus commanded. Anyone else think that's a problem? Not a love problem, not a heaven hell problem, but a problem called reward. If you're invited to be the bride and you can't love as the bride, then you're not gonna be the bride, are you? Because the bride will love like the groom, won't she? See the invitation? You're betrothed to Christ. You're not yet the bride of Christ. You're betrothed to be the bride, but the bride will be ready. So the bride will live a life of being the bride now. But she can't until she starts giving an appetite and a thirst and a hunger for this thing called righteousness because she can't deny herself. You can't deny you. So you have to surrender your soul. But we don't want to. Because I built a wall and that's really scary. And I don't know what's on the other side of that. It's called him. He's right there waiting. And fear is false, false evidence appearing real. It's all it is. You've painted it up as something that's real. It's false evidence and it appears real, but it's not. It's very real to you, but it's false. So it looks right. Adam was afraid of God, but God came running to Adam. Why? Because he'd sinned. So sin messes us up, doesn't it? It creates fear when it's not there. See what the fall of sin does? See why he said don't partake of the tree because it's gonna break relationship with us. And you're gonna fall out of glory and everything that wasn't. Jesus didn't come just to restore sinners. He came to restore everything that was lost. God's first priority of God's heart, the promise, not the problem. But we don't know that, so we preach a problem first. Oh, yeah, there's that thing called the marriage thing somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. No, that's number one, man. So Paul knew it. Man wasn't even married physically. He was married. He wasn't married physically, and he knew the great mystery. Why? Because he had a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how he understood the works of the gospel. He didn't try and understand the gospel in Jesus. He got Jesus and understood the works. So what does Paul say? I love this. Paul defends his apostleship. Why did he have to defend his apostleship? Because people didn't receive him as one. They got no idea what's on this guy. 
Corinthian church have zero understanding of what this even looks like. Hence, he said to them in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, man, I can't speak to you like spiritual men. You're just mere infants still. You're not gonna grasp any of this stuff he's saying to them. So then he says this, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Why do they have to bear with him in a little foolishness? Because what he's about to say, you're gonna think is crazy. But indeed you are bearing with me. So some of them obviously were starting to come into a realm and a reality that what the man was saying. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Why would Paul be jealous for the church? With a godly jealousy, which is not a human negative dark jealousy, which sucks the life out of everybody. This is a jealousy that releases people. This is a jealousy that gets on its knees and it goes through whipping and beating and torture and shipwreck for her. This is a jealousy that has so much life in it that it's prepared to give its life for everyone else, even those that he doesn't know, even his people in blood, the Jews. He says, I would give my life if the Jews could come into this. That's how much the man was in love with the Christ because he was in love and love was in him. He didn't know about love. He was becoming the very substance of love because Christ was being formed within the man. And that enables crazy Christ-like life, behavior. That enables you to love beyond earth. It enables you to love a person when they're spitting at you, yelling at you, lying about you, disowning you, wrecking your character. That enables you to stay there and just love like Jesus. That's the standard for the church. See why you gotta have a hunger and a thirst for something you can't do? Because that is way bigger than us, isn't it? So what we do is this. That's too high a mountain. I'll go do what I can do. And I'll find satisfaction in works. And that's where I'll tick my Christian box for God because I'll feel good about my life because I'm doing my little thing. And I've got all the boxes lined and I tick them all and I feel very comfortable and at rest now about my Christianity. It's called churchianity. It's called religion. It's called institution. It's called building a club and an organization. It is not the church. I don't want to do anything that I can do in my own ability and strength. Otherwise, I don't need Him, do I? I don't need God if I can do it. Man, my life stinks pre-Christ. It was selfish, self-centered, self-focused. Everything was around me, and I was quite a good guy. I'd share the chocolate biscuits with my brothers Ask them. Marty would put one out on a plate and Keith wouldn't even come out. <laughs> I was generous in nature. I've always been soft-hearted, compassionate. But that's nothing. I'm still a pride-filled man, full of myself, full of my own soul, living for me, hurting people, not intentionally, trying to find this fix that can only be fixed through love, the Christ, using people 
women trying to find stuff. As I came through my divorce, I was a broken individual and I needed the one who could heal my broken heart. And I needed to fall into love. And I did. And I'm forever grateful for 1997, 23rd of December, 10 a.m. That's the day I remember the day I fell in love. And Paul is saying this, man, I am jealous for you all that you would be apprehended and arrested by the Christ to find the life the Christ has for you as an individual, as the body, as the body, as an individual. He says, I betrothed you to one husband, not the natural husband or wife, one husband. Betrothed means this, to join, to fit, to join oneself to. So Paul is godly jealous that he is betrothing you to Christ. Full stop. No but in nothing, Christ. So that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. He wants to present us as never being with the world. I got a brand new opportunity in 1997. I was of the world. The world was in me. He needed to rip it out of me. He needed to fill love into me so I can be a pure virgin, one that has never been tainted by the world. Radiant, spotless before my king. Man, I was so dark. You know, Lazarus, how many days in the tomb was he? Four days. What did Martha say? There's gonna be a stench. I was dead for 29 years. That's a pretty big stench. And God wants to present me, Greg Simnor, one who was a sinner, but called before he was ever a sinner as a son to the marriage covenant that I would not be like the world, that I would come out of the world and that I would be a virgin, literally like I'd never had what we know that means. Pure for him. Paul is jealous. He gave his life for you and I. Don't throw away the man's life because you have no knowledge of the stuff. Seek it. It will change you. Then he says this, this breaks my heart, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray. He's comparing, guys, the fall of mankind to being led astray from something. It's not a little thing, the fall of mankind. We fell out of glory. We're all messed up because of Adam and Eve's decision. The most horrific, devastating decision ever made. And we are the consequences of that. But God had a plan to bring us back to create pure virgins like there was in the Garden of Eden, which will be the new heaven and the new earth. So he's got it all sorted. It's called the prophetic scriptures. 
But it's all contained in here, but you need revelation of what's in here for it to hit your heart, to hit your mind and change you and to live as a whole body. And Paul's going, Lord, the enemy is deceiving and he's winning because these people don't know your scriptures. These people don't know who they are. These people don't know who they've been called to be. They have no reference from revelation of who they really are. So the enemy lies to them and they believe it. Their flesh lies to them and they believe it. They listen to the voices of media. They listen to the voices of politicians. They listen to the voices of parents. They listen to every other voice but the one who said, this is my son, he is beloved. Listen to him. And he has given you his Word, His biblical will for Him, His dreams, His heart for you. He has given it. There is no reason to ask what the will of God is anymore. Get your mind, your heart into this and let the Holy Spirit teach you and you will know the answers to the questions, but you will have more than that. You will have eternal life and you will be able to love people like Jesus. Paul goes on, he says, they've been led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Hence what Sam said in the notices. Paul said, if you're married, live as if you're not. If you're partying in the world, live as if you're not. If you're doing well, live as if you're not. What's he saying? Get divorced? No. He's saying, Have you moved away from your first love? Have you left the source of life? Are you trying to find life outside of life himself? Are you trying to find life in a marriage partner? Are you looking for your peace, your rest, your joy in a person? He says, I wouldn't entrust my heart to a person because I knew what was in every man. So you're looking for living stuff in dead things. Last week's message, a devotion. The early church devoted them. Why? Because they knew something. They knew who they were called to be. For one comes, listen to this, and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached. Or you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted. You bear this beautifully and we all go oh I wouldn't be that that's not me do you know the only knowledge you have is revelation so if you haven't had revelation you have zero knowledge of what he's talking about meaning zero knowledge and zero substance of knowledge which is highly likely you're going to receive another gospel and another Jesus. Because all another Jesus is, is man being someone like me, preaching my version of Jesus, thinking it's his version. Telling you your primary purpose is reaching lost people or works-based gospel is not Jesus. That's a version of Jesus. See, if you believe that like I believe that, there's another Jesus being preached. That's how simple this is. This isn't like Jesus never died on the cross. It's not obvious like that, is it? None of this is obvious. Satan is coming as what? The angel of dark or light? Light. So this is so subtle. 
He's a master at deception, the enemy, isn't he? He's like the famous, the great car player. He just shifts it slightly on you. It's just 1% on you takes you right off. 1% keeps you out of life. You see, we think it's all like the devil's got pitchforks, horde, red like Ian preaching. No, he's not like that at all. There are false prophets, false teachers, false apostles. False apostles, do you hear that? False prophets. <laughs> false apostles, false prophets, false teachers, false everything. Your flesh is false. So this is how you know is through revelation that keeps you bound and in alignment to the Christ. He says, but this is gonna happen. Then he says this, for I consider myself not in least inferior to the most eminent apostles, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Every way is in form of demonstration of a changed life which is what this is all about, a changed life, not intellectualism. That's what we've made it. We've built this on intellectualism and not on demonstration. That's called Phariseeism. That's what Jesus held them to account to because they'd build an institution. And yet they were the people who were supposed to know the Father, because he came for his own people, which were Israelites. And they completely got off path. He's coming back for his people, which is us. Will he find faith when he returns? Will he find an on fire people who have let go of their lives and are completely ablaze for him? Loving people like Jesus loved. That's your number one commandment. So unless you can do that yet, there's greater work that needs to be doing and greater surrender and submission because that's the first commandment. He's taken 613 laws and reduced it down to one so we simplify it so we can get it. Do you see why relationship is so important? Do you see why if you can't do that yet because you haven't denied you, there's an issue. You won't, guys, listen, you won't be able to love someone like Jesus Christ. I'm not talking human love. This is impossible for a human outside of the empowerment of Jesus. So you can't love a human like Jesus, the commandment you are commanded to. It is impossible with man until you have let go and allowed him to come into every river, every recess, so you can no longer deny him. And he releases you from you. And this is, I'm talking, this is so deep what I'm saying. You can't know this unless the Holy Spirit takes you there. You have no reference for this unless the Holy Spirit takes you there. So he's saying to you today, would you come and seek me if it is you and let me take you there through your repentance? Because you can't know what I'm saying. You will have no reference for this unless the Holy Spirit has taken you to what I'm saying. That's where the oneness is. If you've been there, Sina, she will go yes and amen because I know Sina has arrived there. And people who have inside go, ah, yes, because they've been released from self and find a capacity now, remember? Because they've been broken, but God doesn't leave you broken. He comes to build. So it's broken, build, bless. The outcome of this is 
Bless, what for? So I can fulfill the commandment, which is loving people like Jesus. When they hate me, when they persecute me, when they lie about me, when they say all the things, when they don't understand me, it's okay because love covers. Why is love the greatest? Because he's looking for people that can do that. She's called the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ will be able to do what Jesus says. He is looking for, the Father is looking for his son's equal. Every one of us have an opportunity to become this. You have been given life to become her. But the process of that is called sanctification, which means sanctification is the letting go of you, allowing the story to be embedded in you through revelation, and allowing this to become you. So what you read about, you eat, you drink, you have living water. Every promise in this becomes yours. Every reality you read that says this, he who believes in me as the prophetic written scriptures declare will have from within them rivers of living water. John 4, hey lady, you who know nothing, who've come with your bucket, do you want what I have on offer today? The living water that you know nothing about. You keep talking to me as an earthling, but I am here in front of you today to declare a reality that I see for you. You have a little knowledge about one that's coming. He's called the Messiah. Well, he stands in front of you today and he declares to you a reality for you, but will you chase it? Will you go after it? Will you pursue him? you love, not gifts, because the covenant was given and its primary purpose is relationship, fellowship, not function. Man, do we need to get set free from that? But please hear me. There are works to be done, but not the way most of the church is doing it. The burnout rate for pastors is over the top. And we call it Christianity. I'm trying to help leaders get free of this stuff and enter into rest. Know the reason why you were created. It was not to do works for me. I can do all the works. I created the freaking thing. Sorry. If I created the planet, do you think I can do it? My goodness. We need to wake up, guys. We live like this in correct, in the physical. Danielle and I did not get married for function. We did not have children for function. We had them for life, and you did too. Yet when it comes to God, we have this warped mindset that it's about function. Where does all this come from? God. So Jesus is turning us, twisting us, shaking us, breaking us. Why? Because he's looking for his girl, for the son. And it has nothing to do with physical genealogy. It has nothing to do with bloodline. It has nothing to do with whether you're married or not with kids. It's all irrelevant as a primary. But every relationship God gives is for the purpose of spiritual oneness, which is the bride. Every relationship, whether it's three guys meeting on a Friday, whether it's 20 people in a prayer room, 
every relationship he gives you is to perform a work of spiritual transformation. So you can love every single person. He says, man, the world loves the world. That's nothing. Sinners love sinners. I want people of love to love sinners. I don't want them to point fingers. I don't want them to represent me badly by just yelling this, saying this and not with love, taking it completely out of context. I want you to be able to love your enemy. I want you to be able to pray for your enemy. Why though? Because he wants a bride for his son. Co-ear, co-reigning, now, ministering love. Man, this earth is loveless. The enemy is having a field day. He's attacked physical marriage. He's attacking gender. The world is buying into it. He's attacking family. Can you see it though? He's wrecking it. And the church is like, oh yeah. The men, oh yeah. Can I just speak to men right now? Are you becoming like the Christ? Are you truly ahead of your home? Do you have any concept of what that even is? To be ahead if you're married, okay? I'm just speaking it to the physical context of what it means to be ahead over your wife. The world hates the stuff. Even in the church, we don't like it. I'm not having a head. I've got my own. He's called Jesus. Yeah. He's both the male and the husband's head. But then there's an order of a headship and it's covering for love because the male will lay his life down like Christ did for the church, not just for his wife entirely, but for every single people, person. So if you're married, it might be here, but it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Love everybody. And ladies, are you surrendering to your head even when he's not ahead? What does that look like? Are you becoming a two-peter woman who actually just through her behavior is gonna speak to your husband and your behavior transformation will wake him up out of his stupor and sleep? This is so important. Not just what I'm saying now, the whole entire thing. So why is love the greatest? Because the father is looking for his equal for his son. And this equal will love like the son, live like the son, walk in the manner in which the son walked, 1 John 2 verse 6. She will reflect and represent, represent Christ to the world accurately. Just come here from a bit. This relationship, once again, purely from a physical context, is we have different functioning roles, correct? God designs us differently. Now, sure, I can be a nurturer, yep, but I'm more wired to be a protector and a provider. Danielle is more wired to be the nurturer, but we can both do both roles if we need to, correct? So we have different functioning roles, but what do we have the same when it comes to our children? 
What are we to do the same when it comes to our kids? Love them. Same with him, eh? Bride, Christ, both able to love the Father's children the same. To raise up the Father's kids. Generation after generation after generation until he returns. That's his heart for us. Father, I thank you that you have given your all. You gave your son, you gave us your only beloved son, the begotten son that we may give you our all, that we may be fully surrendered, that if we find ourselves in a position of being incorporated, of just asking you in to make our life better or to give us a better life, that we would relinquish that position to you today and that we would ask you to show us what being fully surrendered, fully submitted, being emptied of that position looks like. And then, Father, I pray your power would come through your word and your spirit and perform a work deep in that innermost hidden place that releases us from that incorporated state of following you to being fully surrendered, laid down, no longer laying down, no longer dying to self, but laying self down and staying down and then just receiving revelation upon revelation upon revelation of the Christ to build this eternal life within us, an abiding life that produces much fruit, much love, enabling us to love every human being, mankind, even ourselves, as you love us. So Father, I pray repentance would become an absolute heart position of constantly looking towards you and asking you to teach us and to bring revelation upon revelation of the prophetic scriptures that are contained in the Son. And then upon the revelation of Jesus Christ, the living Word and His words, which are spirit and life, you would build a strong house that has zeal for you. Zeal with wisdom that would become and be the demonstration of love and the manifold wisdom of God would come through the church and every individual because of their identity and their knowledge of you. So Father, I thank you for the work that you've done, that you're doing, that you will do through our surrender and our submission. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would ask for a thirst and an appetite for what we can't do. Lead us to this heavenly place, this heavenly eternal order that sees us being recipients of a reality and living from that place and doing eternal works, love being the first. In Jesus' name we pray.